Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. Stories, make-believe, pretend play and vivid imagination are all things we associate as being vital for the development of children and young people. But how can being involved in creative spaces help support well-being and a sense of agency in young people? Today we speak to Lisa Stevenson, the course leader in the Masters on Drama and Creative Writing in Education and the director and founder of Storymakers Company. We discuss how these creative spaces can be used in schools to help children develop a sense of subjective well-being and how we can use stories to explore identity and help build empathy in young people. So welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Today we're going to talk about your work which uses creative writing and drama to help support children's well-being. If you could start off by giving us a little bit of an overview of you and how you came to do this work. Yes, certainly. Hello, everyone. So my name is Lisa Stevenson, and I am an academic and a researcher at Leeds Beckett University. Before coming to the university, I was a primary school teacher for a long time um, in Bradford and before that actually uh, my first degree was in psychology and drama so I've got an interdisciplinary background. At the moment at the university I teach across the initial teacher education routes and I'm the course leader for an MA in creative learning and I am also the director of the Storymakers Company and I think that the work of the Storymakers Company as a collective is what I'm looking forward to talking to you about that today. And you mentioned there the Storymakers Company. Could you tell us a little bit more about what this is and what they aim to do? So the Storymakers Company then is a practice-based research collaborative at at the university. And I started the Storymakers Company in 2017 because I was really concerned about the marginalisation of the creative arts in schools. And at that time, I was working also with a lot of artists on the board of some theatre companies as well in the Leeds area. Um, And, you know, there was a real need and desire from those artists to articulate their work because I was on the board often seeing the impact of that work for young people and for schools and for communities in relation to their well-being and their sense of voice as well was a reason to create the Storymakers Company. So there's three different parts to it and the main focus of it is about creative practice using mostly stories. So thinking about making stories together and when we make stories together through the creative arts, using drama, creative writing mostly, although there's lots of different ways to create stories. The focus is on amplifying diverse children's lived experiences. So I guess the three parts of Storymakers Company is we're a collaborative that articulates practices going on in schools and communities with artists. It's interdisciplinary. 
we create our own research and practice from within the, the company, drawing from our own research. And that focuses specifically on researching with children. And then the third thing that we do is we work with schools and other organisations to support them in bringing that practice into their curriculum. And I think what you highlighted at the beginning there was something about the reduction of creative time in schools to prioritise academic, and I don't think that's the right word, but English and maths and those things. And maybe what we've lost then by not having time for these things, particularly in terms of children's well-being and, and identity. Definitely. I totally agree, Sarah. And I think, you know, there was a few reports, wasn't there, I think at the end of 2019, the Durham report on creativity and some of the Arts Council reports as well. And I think the report by the Cultural Alliance that talked about across a substantial range of schools that children's access to cultural opportunities was very much dependent often on their postcode. And I think the Paul Hamlin report went as far as saying that actually now that was a social justice issue. So I think you're absolutely right that the space for the creative art, there's lots of different forms of obviously of creative learning, but the creative arts specifically engages emotion and particular way of working that for a lot of young people that if they're not having that opportunity then that means perhaps you know they're not getting that range of experiences and learning and opportunities um, and development ultimately that we should be providing in schools and I know it's much more complicated than that but I guess those reports I think really highlighted that landscape. And what I'm really interested in is the links between these creative spaces and mental health. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about how these spaces you create do support young people's well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that definitions around mental health and well-being are, are very vast, aren't they? You know, they're kind of expansive. So I think particularly some of the research that we've looked at is thinking about the links between the creative experiences that we give young people making stories together and their subjective well-being rather than their mental health, so that how they feel as a result of that. One of our first pieces of research with the school was funded by the United Kingdom Literacy Association, and that involved working with children and teachers and artists um, over a year. And again, it was about bringing drama and creative writing into the curriculum and you know giving the children the opportunity to learn by doing and I guess it's learning by feeling as well perhaps what defines our particular kind of work which is dramatic inquiry I go on to call it drama world building but essentially that's about using a fictional scenario with children together in an imaginary world where they sort of negotiate collaboratively the rules in that world it's a particular relationship between the child and the teacher where the child feels like they're leading that learning obviously in reality the teacher is choosing to use their own position in a particular way that makes the child feel like that and it's about exploring complex social scenarios together in the fiction I guess which reflect a bit the messiness of the real world so what we find when young people work like that and when they get used to working like that and taking risks in those spaces where they're encouraged to perhaps take responsibility but there isn't the real life consequences of, of acting in that way. What we find from our research with children is they talk very much about how they feel when they're given the opportunity to make choices and the freedom to act within those types of learning in our research. Children 
will work in fictional worlds, but they'll also bring some of the things of their real life concerns into those spaces. So it really sounds to me like you're creating a safe space where someone can feel in control and have a place to reflect on and experience and work through some of these emotions. And I know there's some really lovely quotes that young people have said about the experience. I think it would be really powerful to share some of those. A child said that they felt that their mind had escaped from captivity. And I think it, and I can feel it. Things like when I feel angry, I can use my imagination and draw. One of the biggest things we get again and again with children is that they feel that there's no right and wrong when they're working like that. And so although the spaces have a lot of structure and purpose to them, what seems to be coming out is the sense of agency and autonomy that that person can bring to be the person that they need to in that space. And that's one of the components that you're linking to well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you're absolutely right. It's that focus on structure for freedom, isn't it? And I think mm-hmm. as well it means that you might be working in a different way so you know it involves making different judgments perhaps about how you might want to create that lesson so in a sense everybody's taking a risk because it feels like a different way of working and then I would say like exactly as you say holding those spaces where there is that sense of freedom to explore and discover with without fear of judgment one thing I would say for that you know it is a different way of working and it does demand a certain set of skills from the artist, educator or the teacher facilitating those sessions. And, and you know, again, that's something that I'm articulating in depth through my PhD, but also it's something that we do when we work to schools as well, thinking about how we might support, give that freedom for the teacher's professional imagination as well as the mm. arts imagination, that there needs to be spaces both of those but in reality sometimes that's difficult because of the other demands that are placed on teachers. So for teachers thinking about this it requires a lot of space and thought and as you say skill and we'll talk a little bit later about some of the things that anyone listening could try and do to develop this in their practice but very much acknowledging that this might be something unusual and a bit out of their comfort zone for them. So you have developed some resources to support this process and to support these kind of activities and lessons. So could you talk a little bit about the resources that you've developed? We've got a few different projects showcase this work in in different ways. And what I'm going to talk about a little bit now is one of the projects called The Storymakers Press. And that project involves working with children in the same way using drama and creative writing. But it has a specific, I guess, product at the end, and that is a published fiction book. So what we do is the press is focused on creating stories, fictional stories for children aged 8 to 12 years old. Um, And again, the focus of those stories is very much about creating stories in which children can see themselves reflected, particularly marginalised groups. And that underpins all our work. In all the drama workshops, it's always about children creating fictional worlds and identities that that matter to them it takes about two to three months and the first part of that is going into schools and working over six workshops to co-create a story with children 
and children again are co completely a part of that story so through the workshops what we do is we use the drama to create the backstory the characters the dilemmas and we go away in between each session and we critically reflect on what's happened in the workshop and we might write a little bit of the story and then we might come back again so at the end of those six weeks we have a synopsis that the, the children have agreed on during the workshops children are working in the ways that I described earlier so they're creating the narrative together, but they're also using drama, a lot of visual drawing. And again, all of those drawings, the illustration, the images that they, they create, all of that, again, feeds into the final published book. At that point, after the workshops, what we do then is we um, write the story, the first draft of the story. And then after that, the, the story is taken through a, a publishing process. And again, each part of that process, the children are involved. So it's kind of co-created with them. So there must be a real sense of success and achievement for the young people who've actually created this whole book for themselves. And you can see how you're incorporating those ideas of exploring your own emotions and bringing your own self in those creative workshops as well. So it'd be really interesting to hear the kinds of stories that you have created in this way. The focus of the stories is about disrupting stereotypical narratives. We've done four books. I just mentioned the second and the third book. The second book was created. It's called Zalfa Amir is a Warrior. And it's a retelling of a Kashmiri fairy tale. And it was developed with 15 year five primary aged girls in Bradford. In this story, again, you know, they create a character, Zalfa. She's very funny. She's She's very powerful. She subverts the particular narrative in that story. In the original story, the, uh, the, the female character is quite oppressed by the males in the story. But in the story that the girls created, um, they create a character that is the opposite of that in lots of ways. And their genre is a comedy stroke, I would say, probably slightly horror genre. So they really wanted to write a story. This was their version of that story. So it's very interesting from a research purposes, I mean, in terms of how the girls subvert those narratives. But also it's very aspirational for them because at the end of it, they have a, a, published, a published book, which they're very proud of. And one of the girls in a radio interview talked about... A part of the critical reflection on that said that it's really important to have characters that not that just look like you but that characters that are like you and I think part of that that's what we talked about earlier that when a child said my mind feels like it's escaped from captivity it's about authentic representation where children can really you know feel valued in the space and about promoting diversity and citizenship and empathy and compassion and all of those things and critical thinking come into the work. So it's really interesting how the groups of children you're working with seem to take their identities and really work through these and paint a really positive picture of them or, as you say, reframe common narratives and then these books become really representative of those communities that they are part of. Um, and you, you said you kind of speak about the third book as well, which worked with a really interesting minority group. Could you tell us about that? The third book, Chasing the Volcano, was written with nine children who identify as Roma in Bradford School. And, and that story is 
very much again it's an apocalyptic story and it's about a young boy and a girl coming together at a time when people aren't looking after the world and its resources and about them returning to gain knowledge from a group of people reminiscent of um, the Roma community who understand about how to work with the land in that way so again they subverted that narrative in, in interesting ways and and again one of the children talked about being able to draw his anger. That was particularly in that story. The children do bring in those workshops, which I run, they do also bring the real life issues into them. And we're very focused on the books being very much positive representation and not being issue books, even though they are addressing issues to do with mental health. First book particularly was the book that looked at a young a young boy being a carer and we did quite a bit of research into the types of stories we wanted to create with children that often become issue books and also talking about how many children don't see themselves represented in stories anyway particularly you know the children from back Asian minority ethnic groups that we were working with for those second and third story and I know it was really important for you that these writing these books didn't just help the authors, the young people who were collaborating with you in the production of the books, but also could be used beyond that for other groups of people who may not be representative of these communities. Could you speak a bit about that part of the process? So the second thing that we do is to write a guide it's called an explorer's guide that accompanies the book. And I write those, again, using some of the drama techniques that I talked about before. But also I may collaborate in a multidisciplinary way with other experts. So I'll give you an example. What we would do is we would take six moments from the story into the guide and we would look at then how you might explore them in more detail. And often they're the slightly more complex things that children have brought into the workshops so for one of the books for the Roma story, the children brought this into the story that somebody's written go home on the wall of the on the wall where they, they live. And so again it touches on issues of belonging and racism. And so the the guide would take that story and it would think about three or four steps that we might have to to explore some of those issues meaningfully. In another one of the guides, the first guide, I, I worked with CAMS and Centre for Mental Health as well, because that was involved a carer thinking about some aspects of the story. The children really wanted to know what happened to mum in that story because she was often in bed. So again, we thought about how we would approach that in, in, in a way through the guides together using drama so that it, it, it talked about what that particular child was doing well in those circumstances again. So we were, we were thinking about how we might make the guides a fun resource, but explicitly focusing on articulating how we can support children's emotional literacy well-being dispositions and also that imagination so the guides are an extension of the kind of practice that we're developing in the books and so these stories are going to be particularly powerful for these groups that now feel represented and representation and seeing yourself in the story is really complex to make sure you get an authentic experience and using those from those communities to get that is really important and helps that person identify and see themselves in the characters, I imagine. Absolutely. One of the things that we do is have inclusion reads where we can for the Zalfa Amir book. We included a, a student on the MA course as well who was from a Muslim background as well to come into the workshop. So where we can, it's having that representation, but also acknowledging that our own positionality and that's really important. But absolutely, the hope is that the books help be able to identify themselves in the story, but 
actually, if they don't as well, perhaps to think about empathising through the stories with the community, because the guides absolutely promote challenging the children to put themselves in somebody else's shoes physically rather than just reading the story. So the use of drama in the guides actively promotes opportunities for children to think as if they were that character in that story in a different way. So the hope is it's for all children for different purposes. Yes, I can really see how the empathy side of it is really important. And also just because of the way that these communities have really challenged stereotypes, negative stereotypes about them. For example, that Roma story, seeing themselves as holding a lot of knowledge that they go back and seek and how that can really create new narratives for people reading the stories. And especially if there's safe spaces to explore those feelings that come up as well. Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that we found in that story, and we've written about this in our research, is that sometimes the children in the group didn't necessarily want to explicitly identify themselves as Roma because of other things they had experienced. And we found that very much in the Zalfa Amir as well. We wrote about this as a research that the girls initially took Western names rather than, than traditional names, but actually then having Jay in the group as a, a young woman who was a Muslim writer encouraged them thinking about it on another level as well even working with those children and, and providing those we hope really inclusive and imaginative spaces that's encouraging everyone to create the identities that they want to see there was still even within those spaces with those children sometimes you know an issue around them identifying themselves in whichever way sometimes it's referred to as the imagination gap that because children don't see themselves reflected in those stories, then they're less likely to write themselves into those stories in a normal mainstream classroom. So, you know, that's something that we're still thinking about and something really important, I'd say, that's come out of this way of working. And so now moving more broadly into creative spaces and drama and story writing, we spoke earlier about how it is quite skilled and maybe not something that teachers feel really confident in. So what tips would you give to teachers who are starting out on this journey and want to incorporate these ways of working into their teaching? In the back of the guide, we have attached all of the activities to, to curriculum outcomes, specifically the relationship curriculum to the social-emotional curriculum to the citizenship curriculum, obviously to literacy. So one thing I'd say, first of all, is that working in this way can be very efficient with your time. It takes time because obviously it might take a whole morning to even create a setting and time is a real issue for teachers because of the pressures that they have and completely understand that so I'd I'd say the first thing to say is it can be a very efficient way to work because it's about the integrated curriculum from making a story together through drama it opens up the curriculum because children become invested in working in that way it's fun and it's engaging the second thing I'd say is is have a go and be brave because it, it might feel like a different way of working and many schools are doing incredible jobs of their curriculum really innovating and exciting practices i think one of the simplest things that you can do is look at some of the simple drama conventions simple things like holding spaces where we talked about structure like a freeze frame or a roll in the wall where you draw a gingerbread person you want to explore a character and you invite children to put down all the attributes that they imagine that character to have in the middle of the gingerbread and around the outside you might put the appearance of the character use simple techniques and just build them into your practice just to gain confidence and there are lots of um, resources then that will help you to build a bit of a structure 
I mean, I'd say that if you are invested in making a story with children and you really build that belief and you find an exciting hook to, to bring them into the story, whether it's starting with an object or even a part of a story that you read, if you hook them into that learning and you go with it, children will always come along with you and young people will come along with you. One of the biggest things I think for some teachers is that they don't see themselves as creative. I think perhaps, you know, we're all creative. Mm. We're leveraging the fact that children work in different ways through stories and they see things in more joined up ways and it gives us a chance to really focus on building relationships with children the opportunity to make stories with children and to and to create them allows them a space to think about their hopes and aspirations and dreams summary i'd say three things is find some techniques you think you can use really think about the value of it and also the fact that it can be really ergonomic way to work. You know, story um, opens up parts of learning. It links learning to children's lived experiences. I'd say be brave and just have a go at trying some things. And so creating those stories, I imagine, for a class feels like a really big accomplishment. But there's also small things that you can incorporate that still do the same work with creating that sense of choice, that sense of freedom and that place to explore and work through and reflect on one's identity too. Absolutely. And, it, and even if they just were to do videos with each other, it's that focus on what we're doing rather than what we produce. So the, the outcome could be a series of illustrations. It could be piece of artwork it could you just be the role on the wall that I mentioned you know just a kind of character profile that comes out of it I think it's very malleable if that makes sense working in this way but the reason why it matters is because it allows children to link their learning to their lived experiences but also critically to move beyond those lived experiences because they practice making decisions in the story space so let's well let's try it another way and Again, I'd say a simple freeze frame or frozen image in drama is a really effective way to do that. And it's probably really reassuring for teachers and those working in schools to know it's not about the finished product because there's so much of a focus on outcomes. I think it's absolutely about being confident about what is happening when we're learning in this way rather than focusing on the outcome because you can link it to any kind of learning if you want to. You know, Any story could be linked in this way, but we're focusing on the actual act of creating a story together and it doesn't have to be written although there are links to working in this way and creative writing that's very expressive and we've done some research around that I think it's focusing on what happens when children work collectively and what kind of learning is happening and and for me why does that matter and why does that matter now and so to finish off our conversation, if there was just one thing you wanted those listening to this to take away from the discussion today, what would it be? It's a challenge, really. I think the challenge, because it is a challenge, the challenge is to find spaces where children can see themselves reflected in learning. And that's valued. And that's it's not about starting from a topic that children are interested in. It's about how they bring themselves into those learning spaces and how they collectively negotiate that. So how do they create a community that really does celebrate diversity through working in that way? And I think that that's the one thing that I bring. And I think that's because young people talk so much about that. When we research with them, the way they feel, they feel differently when they work like this, they feel less stressed. They feel 
more confident to express themselves, even though for some of them it's not a natural way to work um, and they feel that they can work better as a group. So it's really about bringing these spaces back into our schools where children can explore how they feel and think. Lisa, thank you so much for a fascinating discussion today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Lisa and the Storymaker's work, then you can see the links in the podcast description. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe. And you can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum. You can email us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.